in seminary, my professors did, did not use the word heretic often, but I remember one time a professor commenting on a certain prominent 20th century theologian that 85% of his work was orthodox. It was the other 15% that made him a heretic. And that struck me. Consider how dangerous a teacher would be if 85% of his teaching was spot on, uh, but the other 15% was completely wrong and contradicted and undermined his 85%. Jesus warned about false prophets. They're dangerous, and they're sometimes difficult to identify. They're often right but they consistently distort and confuse essential doctrines. False prophets may look like sheep and may be chummy with the sheep, but underneath they're hungry and salivating wolves ready to devour the sheep. And Jesus comforted his little vulnerable sheep. He said twice, you will recognize them which implies safety. False prophets do not persuade those who abide in Christ and in whom the words of Christ abide. Why not? Because as prophet and teacher, Jesus protects and preserves his sheep with his teaching. Verses 15 through 20 are not meant to make you suspicious, uh, skeptical, or cynical towards those who faithfully teach scripture, even those who aren't reformed. Uh, no Bible teacher today is 100% right about everything, but that doesn't make them a false teacher or heretic. That said, a faithful teacher will not equivocate on essential historic and orthodox doctrines of the Christian faith. God has graciously gifted the church with shepherd teachers who imperfectly but faithfully proclaim God's law and gospel for the good of the church. That's Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. And God gave his Holy Spirit and his word to believers to help them discern the teaching they receive. Jesus wasn't calling for witch hunts here. He lovingly forewarned his disciples about false prophets and readied them and equipped them for the oncoming battles for orthodoxy or the soundness of Christian doctrine and orthopraxy or the soundness of Christian conduct. To endure the hard way that leads to life, God's people must have sound and spirit-led doctrine along with sound and spirit-led conduct. And false prophets are a threat to both. So Jesus, the prominent prophet and teacher, fortifies both orthodoxy and orthopraxy in his people. My goal today is simple. To comfort and hearten you, dear sheep, by explaining how Jesus Christ, our prophet and teacher, protects you from deception and preserves you on the hard road to eternal life. I want you to sense from the text how loving Jesus is to teach his people truth and guard them against deception 
and its many harmful consequences. What we believe informs how we behave. How we behave confirms what we believe. Belief and behavior, they may not always be consistent for us, but they are inseparable. So if what we believe can be weakened or destabilized in some way, then our obedience to our king will also be weakened and destabilized, and that's Satan's scheme. That's what he's trying to do. Jesus protects and preserves his disciples along the narrow way, along the difficult way of temptation, affliction, and suffering by training them to discern truth from error true prophets from false prophets so that the integrity of the gospel is preserved in the church and the church can, by the Spirit, respond with thankful and joyful obedience. What was Jesus doing in the Sermon on the Mount? Multiple things. Jesus was explaining the law in greater detail and therein exposing in his listeners sin, guilt, and need of God's grace. He was also exhibiting himself as the righteous king. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? To fulfill them. Jesus was also expounding the ethics of God's kingdom, making it clear uh, what the hard way to eternal life looks like. That's all true, but he was doing something else. Something that I think was prominent, if not primary, in his sermon. Jesus was primarily addressing his true disciples. Others were listening in. He told them earlier, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He was encouraging his true disciples as they traveled the narrow and hard way. And I'm realizing more and more how prominent gratitude is in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was heartening his disciples to live out their true identity as beloved children adopted by their father into his kingdom. Jesus was with his disciples, kindly training, readying, preparing, equipping, comforting, strengthening them on their way to eternal life in the kingdom. I think Jesus was essentially teaching, I chose you, graciously brought you into my kingdom. Here is what I, your king, am like, and here is what I'm making you. So enter by the narrow gate, listen to me, trust me, walk with me on the hard road, and I will protect and preserve you till the end. This is what I will help you do, my dear little lamb. So when wolves come to the lambs dressed in sheep's clothing, his lambs are not deceived and distracted from that narrow way, the way of security, the way to life. But the shepherd stands with them and guards them and guides them to life. Jesus gave his disciples strong words because he was their strength and he would make them strong because the weak and gullible lambs, those weak and gullible lambs will not make it on the hard hard way, the hard road. They must be protected and preserved 
by their good shepherd teacher. I want to start with an important foundational point. As our loving prophet, Jesus is our wisdom, truth, and security along the hard way that leads to life. What is a prophet? Well, more than a person who foretells the future, a prophet is God's appointed mouthpiece. God ordains the prophet, puts his divine message into the prophet, therefore the prophet proclaims, thus says the Lord. God authorizes prophets to speak for him. All truth, no error. With that in mind, right before the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew wrote this about Jesus. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Jesus began his kingdom reign and rule by proclaiming and healing. After concluding the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew wrote, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Jesus taught with authority because God ordained him and sent him. Jesus is the message of God in human flesh. God raised up Jesus Christ, his son, as the preeminent prophet and teacher, the person that everybody must listen to if they want to live. Heidelberg 31 asks, why is he called Christ, that is, anointed? It answers, and please listen carefully to this, because he has been ordained by God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. When you wholeheartedly trust Jesus as your chief prophet and teacher, you are not easily duped by false prophets, false teachers. In Acts 3, 22 and 23, Peter preached about Moses' prophecy of Christ, saying, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. The wide gate and easy way that lead to destruction are for those who don't listen to Jesus. The narrow gate and hard way that lead to life are for those who do listen to Jesus. It, and it should comfort you, dear saints, when you find yourself listening and responding to the teaching of your shepherd teacher, Jesus. He's working in you when you're listening. Jesus is supremely precious to us because he alone is God's ordained prophet and teacher who reveals to us God's counsel and will concerning our glorious redemption. But Heidelberg 31 
also says that Christ is our eternal king who governs us by his word and spirit and who defends and preserves us in the redemption obtained for us. Now, make the connection here. Jesus obtained eternal life for us, revealed our redemption uh, to us in the gospel as our chief prophet and teacher, but he also governs us by his word and spirit and defends and preserves us in the redemption that he obtained for us. As he teaches us and governs us by his word and spirit, he is also guarding us and protecting us against false prophets who want nothing good for us. He is our good shepherd. We can rest in the security of Christ's authoritative and definitive education. We are prone to naivete, to credulity, but our prophet and teacher, Jesus, provides us wisdom and discernment. Have you ever thought about that, that Jesus is actively protecting and preserving you, body and soul, with his teaching, with his doctrine, with his theology? When, when, when we enter the narrow gate, we receive Christ as our wisdom. For those who are called, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.24, Jesus is the wisdom of God. Paul added a few verses later, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. When we enter the narrow gate, we receive Christ as our truth. John wrote that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that the son from the father is full of grace and truth, and that the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. When we enter by the narrow gate, we receive Christ as our security. Jesus prayed in John 17, 12, I kept them in your name. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost. Paul comforted the Thessalonian church saying, but the Lord is faithful he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Jude 24 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Saints, we are gullible and vulnerable when we trust our own opinions or reasoning. The more the words of Christ abide in us, the sharper and the stronger we are. What protects us against the wiliness of wolves? Jesus, our loving prophet, our wisdom, our truth, our security, educating and sustaining us on the hard way, the hard road that leads to life. This brings me to my second point. Jesus warns us about false prophets to further protect and preserve us on the hard way that leads to life. Why would, why would Jesus warn his disciples about false prophets? Was it not to protect and preserve them along the hard way? 
If Jesus left his disciples unsuspecting and vulnerable, their security would have been compromised and they would not have been effective at making disciples. How do you make disciples when you're thoroughly confused about the law and gospel? Impossible. You don't make disciples. So Jesus warned then, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. He he was saying, be alert, be on guard, watch out for false prophets who are very dangerous, and they're on their way. They're on their way. Why is this, this warning helpful? One scholar said, quote, presumably one is to beware of false prophets because their influence may distort one's own embrace of the teaching of Jesus, end of quote. That which threatens our embrace of Jesus' teaching is bad. It's dangerous. It's threatening, eternally threatening. The, the Greek word for false prophets is interesting. It's pseudoprophetes, a compound word of pseudes, meaning counterfeit or false, and prophetes, meaning prophet or someone who speaks the words of God. So a pseudoprophetes is a counterfeit or false prophet, someone who claims to speak God's words, but whom God never authorized to speak his words. They're just making stuff up. Think of a wolf, a gray wolf, about 80 pounds, five feet long, sharp teeth, hungry for mutton. And this gray wolf kills a wandering sheep named Gary. (laughs) Um, Skins poor Gary. That's kind of gruesome and wears wool and leather, if you catch my drift there of what I'm saying, into the sheepfold. And the other sheep, they see Gary coming, him returning, and, hey, everybody, Gary's back. Hey, good to see you, Gary. You don't look so good. Are, are you feeling all right, Gary? Why is your wool all crooked? You're walking funny, and your leg, something happened to your face. Gary, did you get dental work done? And all of a sudden, the wolf attacks and kills a bunch more of the sheep. You get the idea. False prophets who come into the church and teach destructive heresies are like ravenous wolves waiting to devour the unsuspecting and naive sheep. But what if the shepherd is among the sheep? Jesus provides his sheep with his word and with his spirit, with the preaching and teaching of uh, of the, the ministry of a local church to equip and to strengthen them so that they're not unsuspecting and naive, but rather alert and discerning, ready. Wolves, they sometimes blend in pretty well when they wear their fluffy wool coats. Dr. James Boyce said, The danger lies in the fact that there are going to be agents of the devil in the church. End of quote. We must not be naive, dear saints. Agents of the devil sneak into the church to deceive and devour through teaching. Sometimes subtle teaching. Error. 
Now, this is intense. Jesus is very intense here. But warnings are often very loving and helpful. Now, Montana has some great fly fishing. Maybe someday I can fly fish in Montana. It also has big grizzly bears. If a teenager is going to go fly fishing in remote sections of the river, it is loving for his father to remind him of the reality and the threat of grizzlies. Son, I love you. I, I've, I've seen grizzly bears where you're headed to today. And I, and I want you to enjoy fishing. I think you should go fishing today. But I also want you to come back. Uh, so here is some bear spray. And here is my 12 gauge. Keep them on you at all times. If you see a bear, do as I taught you. All right. Be careful, but have a great time. That's a loving father. If the son heeds his father's warning and, and does what his father taught him, he'll be okay and he can enjoy catching some trout. False prophets come to church, but not to worship God, to destroy the flock. Jesus said it would happen, and it has been happening since Jesus' warning. And I don't think Jesus was warning about particular false prophets or false gospels, but was warning more generally about, uh, uh, about the certainty of many different kinds of false prophets coming to church. This, this was not even a new warning for God's covenant people. After promising in Deuteronomy 18 that God would send the preeminent prophet, uh, Christ, Moses added this, verses 20 and through 22. But the prophet who presumes to speak in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has, spoke, has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Isn't that helpful? You need not be afraid of him. God warned about false prophets, but he also gave the criteria to discern them and said not to fear them. And that, that's what Jesus was doing. So uh, sometime check out Jeremiah 23, 16 through 22. It's very enlightening regarding false prophets. God warns about prophets who are not authorized to speak his words. Look it up. It'll help you. The, the, the problem with false prophets is they don't stand in the counsel of God. God does not send them. And God does not speak to them, yet they claim they speak for God when in reality they speak for themselves. Dangerous. Folks, there have been so many heresies throughout church history that I cannot name them all, and I can't even define them all. Adoptionism, Arianism, Antinomianism, Gnosticism, Sicinianism, Legalism, Modalism, Pelagianism, Open Theism, Docetism, and on and on it goes. How do we keep track of it all? How do we guard against every error? 
and sometimes very creative errors? Well, it's simpler than we might think. Jesus protects and preserves his sheep. How? By his spirit, as his words abide in them. We drink in the word of Christ and trust all of it. We hear, we think, we pray, we study, we discern, we persist, and we submit ourselves entirely to God's word. Do you realize that when you sit under law and gospel preaching and when you read your Bible, it is Jesus who is feeding you strengthening you, protecting you, and preserving you along the hard way. But like cats with a laser pointer, we are so easily distracted, uh, confused, and duped. We sometimes feel gullible. We sometimes feel like lousy Bible students and theologians. I'm sensitive about that. I mean, there are some times I, I get confused. But Jesus didn't leave his disciples without the proper means by which to distinguish true prophets from false prophets. He lovingly equipped them. Next, Jesus equips us to recognize false prophets so we preserve, persevere on the hard way to eternal life. Since Jesus obtained eternal life for us, he will sustain us even through confusion along the hard way so that we receive that which he obtained for us by his blood. L listen to the simple but profound instruction that he gave them, verse 16. You will recognize them by their fruits. Again in verse 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. They will recognize. They won't be duped because it is quite possible to spot a false prophet. There's a way to do it that Jesus gave. Uh, how? Well, first, the words of Christ abide in you. Second, by seeing the fruits of the teachers themselves. Watching for the fruits of a teacher helps us discern the teacher. Jesus gave them several horticultural illustrations. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Kids, what do you think? Well, no. No, no one picks grapes off of thorn bushes. Uh, they pick grapes off of vines. And false prophets are thorn bushes. They don't ever produce grapes. False prophets are thistles. They don't ever produce figs. True prophets or, or those who faithfully proclaim God's revealed will produce grapes and figs because God calls them, God appoints them, God commissions them, God sends them, the Spirit works in them, and they are clear with the true gospel. They give it straight from God's word. Jesus continued, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Well, that's simple. We, we, we don't need to be an arborist to understand that. If the tree is healthy and good, it bears good fruit. If the tree is diseased and bad, it bears bad fruit. Look at the fruit. 
Jesus continued, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Jesus was talking about ability. Uh, when, when a teacher is filled with the Spirit of Christ, they teach the true message of Christ and bear the fruit of Christ. Also, a false teacher is not filled with the Spirit of Christ, they cannot and will not teach the true message of Christ, nor will they bear the fruit of Christ. They can't. It's impossible for them to do. Now, what fruits is Jesus referring to? I think he's referring primarily to what false prophets teach because prophets are to declare the message of God. It seems logical that their teaching is primarily in view and, and that their teaching is the primary thing that gives them away. Uh, many Orthodox uh, teachers have failed morally. And I think Jesus' point, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, applies here. Calvin said, quote, under the fruits, the manner of teaching is itself included and indeed holds the chief place, end of quote. D.A. Carson said, one's fruit, not just what one does, but all one says and does will ultimately reveal what one is. Leon Morris agreed, saying, we should probably understand their teaching also as part of their fruits, for their teaching proceeds from what they are, and it is by our words that we will be condemned or ju justified on Judgment Day, end of quote. Now, the, the lack of integrity and godliness also gives false prophets away, but I think their teaching is primarily in view. Again, they come in sheep's clothing, which implies they act similar to sheep. Sometimes their, their conduct does not immediately give them away, but a close study of their doctrine does. And I think eventually their conduct does as well, especially when they lack humility and carry an air that no one can challenge or correct them because they speak for God. That's dangerous. What about their teaching gives them away? Well, it could be various things, but I would suggest one of the first things is their departure from the inerrancy and authority of sacred scripture. Their comments seem to undermine the clarity, certainty, and authority of the Bible, and they seem to be asserting themselves as the authority. Another would be a departure from historic orthodox interpretation of scripture how has the church been studying scripture through a many 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 years another would be a departure from anything expressed in the ecumenical creeds the apostles nicene and athanasian creeds dr boyce saw it like this he is saying that one of the ways you can detect the false prophet is by noticing that Although he says many things that seem probable, nevertheless, he does not set forth the Lord Jesus Christ himself as the only solution to man's need and the only door to salvation. The first test 
of what is false or true teaching is whether or not Jesus Christ is proclaimed as the one way to God, end of quote. I think Boyce is exactly right. 1 John 4.1 says, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Does, does the teacher teach salvation by the life, cross, resurrection, and lordship of Christ alone? Alone is huge. Jesus didn't explain... Uh, exactly what the heresies would be. He didn't go into great detail there. Why? Well, there's one way of looking at it. Perhaps because if his people are submitted entirely to his authority and are listening ever so closely to his teaching, they will have the discernment needed to reject whatever heresies come along, whatever heresies they hear. Trusting Christ and his definitive, definitive teaching is the key to sniffing out any heresy, whatever it may be. Listen, I want to encourage you in this because I think some of you might be very sensitive about this. You do not need to be the smartest person on earth. Uh, you don't need a theological degree. You don't need special powers or positions you simply need a firm confidence in Christ and his word. The Holy Spirit, a passion to know and apply God's word, and a great local church. A great local church. Do you truly value God's word read, preached, prayed, sung, studied, and are you storing it up in your heart? Don't fear being duped. Your shepherd teacher is with you, teaching you through the means that he provides you. It's very loving of him. There's, there's another great comfort in verse 19, but I'll warn you here, it's a startling, somewhat unsettling, and sobering comfort. Uh, when we see false teachers misleading people, especially people that we know and love, deeply love. It is emotionally stirring and even distressing because those false teachers are leading our loved ones away from God. That, that hurts. We, we see the, the harm that false teachers do and it hurts. It hurts. Jesus said, brace yourself, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The imagery is obvious. False prophets go to hell. Jesus sends them there for what they have done. Jesus is not overlooking false prophets. He's not overlooking false teaching. He is storing up wrath for the day that he unleashes it. The, the language is striking. They're thrown. You could say they're hurled into hell. And, and that's comforting to us believers because God's justice will be done and they won't get away with it. No matter how convincing or successful they have been. God has the last word. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
Jesus is intense because sound doctrine and his little lambs are important to him, of utmost importance to him. Perhaps Jesus, when you hear this, seems too extreme for you. And if that's the case, if you're like, man, that's just hard, simply consider that false prophets are rapacious wolves hunting to kill. You can't be confused about that. As nice and as popular as they may be, as many books as they may sell, as big as their churches may be, as packed as their conferences may be, as grandfatherly as they may be, they are leading people with them to hell. And that's not nice. Jesus does not like that. Hell is where false prophets belong. So, let's end then with this important question. It's important if you want to make it to the end of the hard way to obtain life with Christ. How can we avoid being deceived by false prophets and persevere on the hard way to eternal life? How can we make sure that we believe what is true and avoid being enticed by false teaching? And, and there is so much uh, worth saying here, but I want to keep it simple. Here's what needs to happen. Put your complete confidence in the word of Christ and receive everything that Christ reveals to you in scripture as your authoritative voice. You won't survive if Christ's voice in Scripture is not the authoritative voice in your life. You won't survive. He must be the authoritative voice. The ecumenical creeds and Heidelberg Catechism and other faithful confessions are excellent resources to help you rightly understand the Word of Christ, Scripture, and apply it on the hard road to life. They're their aids in hearing the voice of Christ in Scripture. Because many false prophets say, oh, I believe in Scripture. It's inerrant. It is perfect. But then they distort how they present it. So how do we stay rooted and grounded in a historic orthodox? Well, the, the creeds and the, confession, the faithful reformed confessions, um, they're very helpful to get at the, the true meaning of the scripture that has been taught for many, many, many years. It's not new. We're not making it up. So learn those faithful confessions and catechisms and, and creeds so that red flags go up when you hear the Bible taught in a weird way that doesn't seem quite right. But let me say a bit more because I think that these quotes will, will help you. Here's some comfort from Calvin. Doesn't that sound nice? That sounds like a good book to read. Comfort from Calvin. All right, Calvin said, Let us go boldly to the Lord, asking from him the spirit of wisdom, by whose influences he not only seals on our hearts the belief of his truth, but exposes the tricks and impositions of Satan that we may not be deceived by them. Later, Calvin added, 
believers are never deprived of the spirit of wisdom where his assistance is needful, provided they distrust themselves, renounce their own judgment, and give themselves up wholly to his direction. Do you distrust yourself? Do you renounce your own judgment? Have you entered the narrow gate and given yourself up wholly to Christ's direction? Are you boldly going to your loving prophet and teacher asking for his spirit of wisdom? Are you trusting your loving prophet and teacher to put his truth in you? Are you trusting your loving prophet and teacher to help you detect the hoaxes of the devil? If so, praise God, you're in a great, secure, and safe spot in Christ. If not, you're in deep trouble. You are in deep, deep trouble. James 1, 5, and 6. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith. So if you're scared um, about being deceived or if you feel insecure and naive in your Christian faith, go boldly to your loving Father and ask Him for wisdom and then believe that He is giving it to you through the means of His Word and sacraments, means of the local church, faithful ministry. He'll give it because He loves you and you hunger for it and you ask Him for it. But you can't just ask and then sit there and do nothing. Ask, ask him for that wisdom, ask him for the truth, ask him for discernment while you receive and delight in his provision of truth for you, his word and sacraments, the shepherding ministry of your local church. Some Christians diminish the importance of precise theology and careful thinking. They diminish it almost as if it's not that important. Just live for Jesus. It doesn't matter as much what you think. And, and that's, a, that's a big mistake. That, that is very unwise and unbiblical. Because Jesus, the preeminent theologian, protects and preserves his dear little lambs along the hard way, the treacherous way, the affliction way, by giving them truth and precise theology as necessary means to persevere and endure to the end in order to obtain life. So aren't you so thankful for the teaching of Jesus?